Well, hello, everybody. It is good to be with you today. I had a little bit of time off, which was great, but now I am really happy to be back because we are in the fourth week of our series called Didn't See That Coming, which we've, uh, in which we've been looking at this very particular part of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 through 55, uh, which was written for the Israelites when they were in a very uh, difficult time. They were in exile in Babylon. Now, as we've seen in this series, the people of God had basically hit rock bottom. They had lost their power. They had lost their culture. They'd lost their city. They'd lost their temple. I mean, everything that defined them as a nation seems to have been uh, gone. And now they were far from their homes, surrounded by the, the Babylonians who were so powerful and all their idols and gods and all that stuff. And it felt like God had just disappeared. Where did he go? What happened to Yahweh? He was nowhere to be found, or at least that's how they felt. And into that context, the prophet Isaiah spoke, and he had a pretty singular message for them, and it's this. God is still working. God is still working, Israelites. And in fact, he's going to do something new, something new, which nobody can see coming. That's the message of this section of Isaiah. Now, a quick little uh, reminder, when we talk about prophets and, and biblical prophecy, I've said this before, but uh, biblical prophets like Isaiah, they are not fortune tellers, okay? They are not just here to give you predictions about the future. Prophets don't tell the future, they tell the truth, okay? That's important to remember. Now, sometimes that truth does look ahead at what's going to happen, but what the prophets in the Bible are doing is they are looking at the world around them. They're looking at what circumstances are happening, but they are seeing those circumstances through God's eyes. God speaks through them uh, about his heart for their reality. Prophets don't tell the future, they tell the truth, which is why when we read these passages today, even though what they are talking about is a, a time period vastly different than ours, I mean, living through coronavirus is not the same thing as the Babylonian exile. It's just not. But when we read these passages about what God's heart was for their world, we can start to see what God's heart is for ours. Now, as with all BYOB, Bring Your Own Bible series like this one, uh, we get a little bit nerdy and we're okay with that because uh, it's important for us to dig deep into what these passages have to say. And uh, we want to equip you to be able to study these kinds of passages on your own. Um, so when we talk about these types of passages, we talk about the three worlds of the text. And I just want to give you a little recap. The world behind the text. Now, the world behind the text is what was going on in the world when this happened. What's the context, the exile and all of that. But then there's the world of the text. This is how this particular passage connects to all the other ones around it. Uh, what's the language in the passage and all of that. And then there's the world in front of the text. That's our world. Uh, how does this passage speak into our time, into our situation? Those three worlds, when we uh, look at all three of them as we interpret a passage of scripture, it makes the Bible come alive. And I want to equip you to be able to experience that yourself. So that's why we're doing this series. Okay, so let's dive in and let's see what truth the prophet Isaiah has for us today. This week and next week, we are going to be doing kind of a two-part message. Um, we're going to be looking at one of the most distinctive features. I think it's the most distinctive features of Isaiah 40 through 55. 
throughout these exile prophecies, if you want to call them that, there are four separate passages, uh, four poems actually, which all describe a so-called servant of God, a servant of God with some, some really compelling ideas. Okay, so these four passages, they're sometimes called the servant songs of Isaiah. And we'll put the list of them up on the screen if you want to look them all up. That's where they are. Um, But today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give kind of a big picture overview of these four passages and and talk about this concept of the servant of God. And then next week, we are going to zero in on the fourth servant song, which is one that you've probably heard or it's it's a little bit more familiar to us. And we're going to go really, really deep into that one. Okay, so the, uh, the, the servant songs, we're going to start by looking at the first one in Isaiah 42. So go ahead and grab your Bible. We call it bring your own Bible for a reason. Grab your Bible, open it up to Isaiah 42. Get a pen if you want to mark it up as we go. Uh, please feel free and let's dive into this and meet this servant of God. Before we read, though, I want to just remind you that as we talk about these worlds behind the text and stuff, it is so important for you to use your imagination. you got to imagine what was it like for the people who first heard these words. So use your imagination and imagine uh, that you're in ancient Babylon, okay? You're an Israelite far from home. You're feeling uh, despair. You've lost your cultural identity. You don't know what the future holds. Uh, you know, you're feeling all of that angst and that those questions about what is God doing? Has he abandoned us okay you're you're you've heard all that and then God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and says this in Isaiah 42 look at my servant whom I strengthen he's my chosen one who pleases me I have put my spirit upon him he will bring justice to the nations he will not shout or raise his voice in public he will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. Okay, all right. So uh, it goes on a little bit more, but let's stop right there. Right off the bat, I bet you heard one word that came up a lot, justice. Uh, But what we're seeing here is we're, we're introduced to this servant who is called by God. God has called this person. He has chosen this servant to do something important. And what is that? Well, you look at the end of verse one and you see your answer. The servant is called to bring God's justice to the nations, to the world, God's justice. Now, when we see this word justice, the Hebrew word here is, called, is uh, mishpat, mishpat, God's justice. It's one of Isaiah's favorite concepts. You see that word show up 40 different times in the book of Isaiah alone, and it's all over the place in the rest of the Bible. Mishpat. Um, now, it's more than just legal justice, okay? When we think about God's justice, it's more than just a law code. Um, God's mishpat is the world made right, Mishpat is God's rule and reign as king complete all over the world. It's when what God wants is what God gets. That's when we see Mishpat. And what does God want? Well, that's something we've talked about a lot before, especially back in our sermon series in February when we talked about the law, the law of Moses. Um, sounds super boring, but I promise if you go back and watch, it was, it was, it, we got a lot of good feedback from it because uh, what we saw is that God's desire, God's justice is not about some distant deity given some list of rules to follow. That's not what it is at all. No, what it is, it's an invitation into a way of living 
which actually returns humanity back to the way that we were supposed to live in the first place. Back to Eden, a return to Eden. Um, this isn't arbitrary morality rules. It's, it's, uh, it's a way to live our very best possible lives. Fullness and peace and harmony and healing and abundance. All of that happens when God's mishpat, his justice, is present. When our broken world is healed. So, justice. You with me so far? Okay, so the servant of God in Isaiah is one who dedicates his life to God's mishpat, to God's justice. He works to bring God's justice, God's intentions into the world. And by the way, this fits uh, pretty well with what we've already been talking about in this series. It's the, the theme of this whole section of Isaiah 40 through 55. Uh, God is still working, right? That's the theme that we've come back to. God's justice is growing in the world, even in exile. And this servant is participating in that. He's participating in that, that working of God. But, but, here's the twist. There's a, there's a twist, and I, I, you maybe have caught it, you caught it when we read it, but there's a twist that comes in here uh, where we can uh, once again say the title of this series, okay, I did not see that coming. Because when we think about things like justice, right, or judgment, God's judgment or justice in the world, what do we think about? We think about power, power, uh, the Justice League, right? You know the Justice League. Those are powerful heroes. Justice in our world it requires an iron fist, right? It requires strength and might and battle cries and biceps. That's how you get justice. Even violence, perhaps, if that's what is going to get you to that point of justice. I mean, apparently Batman kills people now, so you, you know what I mean? It's like you got to have power if you want to bring justice. Well, we glorify justice, or we glorify power. That's, that's how humanity operates. We glorify it now, and you know what? Power was glorified in Babylon, too. Might makes right. You've heard that before? Might makes right. It's how the world works. But here's that twist, because how does God's justice come about in our world? Look at verse 2. How does this servant bring God's justice? It says, he will not shout or raise his voice in public. He's not going to crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. What? <laughs> I mean, that's not exactly the caped crusader. There's no biceps in there at all. If you can imagine a, a reed that's like about to break in half, this servant won't even allow it to be broken if he handles it. That's, that's gentleness, right? This is, this is meekness. This is humility. That is how God's justice is supposed to show up tenderly. <laughs> that's really weird, right? That does not jive with our human sensibilities about justice. But, but listen to this, it goes way beyond that in the other servant songs because um, it's not just about his, the servant's gentleness. He's, he's not just humble. It kind of verges into the area of like humil humiliation. It's way beyond humility and it goes to humiliation. Like for example, in the second song, the servant is described as the one who is despised and rejected by the nations. In the third song, the servant himself speaks. He says, I offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mockery and spitting. Whoa. And then in the fourth song, it says that the servant was a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. Again and again and again in these servant songs, the servant of God is neglected and abused by humanity. 
in his mission to bring about God's mishpat, his, his justice into the world, this servant is chewed up and he's spit out by a hostile humanity. And yet he doesn't put up a fight. He doesn't fight back. He just kind of takes it. Even though this servant is, is dedicated to making all things right, God's justice, the wrongness of the world, it takes a heavy toll on him. And in at least one of the servant songs, it actually costs this servant his entire life. It's the paradox of the suffering servant. It's a paradox because it's a paradox on one hand because this downtrodden servant, he's working for the God of the universe. So shouldn't this servant have more power? Shouldn't he have more, more might in this world? But it's also a paradox because despite all of this servant's humiliation and his pain, despite the suffering of this servant, his mission ultimately is a success. Look at verse four. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. He's gonna be victorious. Again, I didn't see that coming. Humiliation leading to justice. Humility being stronger than power. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It's a paradox. So again, imagine hearing this for the very first time in exile in Babylon. God is still working. His servants... His servant is going to prevail, just not the way that you might expect. This is the suffering servant of God. Okay, so that's kind of a big picture view. That's the bird's eye view of these poems, the servant songs of Isaiah. And there's a pretty fair question that we should probably be asking at this point, which is, who is he? Who is this, this servant of God, this suffering servant? Who's it supposed to be? Well, let's think for a moment. It's a person who dedicates himself to the mission of God. He, uh, he suffers at the hands of humanity and he gives his life to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. Who might that be? Who does that sound like? Yeah, it's Jesus, right? Obviously, it's Jesus. And when we read passages in, these, in, in Isaiah, like he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, it just seems even more apparent. Case closed. It's Jesus. But wait a second. Wait a second. Remember, this is a BYOB service, right? We're, we're talking about digging deeply into every passage we look at. We want to understand the, the whole context of every passage that we study. I want us to keep digging before we just completely land on that conclusion that it's Jesus. When we read Isaiah and we just, um, we jump straight to Jesus, here's what happens. We collapse the three worlds of the text. We, we, we go straight to Jesus and we miss some of what this passage has to offer. So, so think about this. Think about this. And I know this is probably a little shocking and provocative as I say that, but just think about this. These poems were written over 500 years before Jesus was born. So what about the world behind the text? I mean, these prophecies, they must have meant something to the Israelites who were living in Babylon, the original readers. Now, yes, of course, the Holy Spirit was breathing through the prophet Isaiah when he wrote these words, but I already said this, prophets don't tell the future, they tell the truth, the truth about our world. Yes, it's true that, that Jesus would come and fulfill these words, but what truth was Isaiah saying to the people in Babylon? The Israelites who first heard these prophecies, I really have a hard time believing that they would have thought, huh, well, that's all very weird. I don't know what you're talking about, Isaiah, but, you know, we'll just wait five centuries and I'm sure it'll become clear. No, th this meant something to them. 
What do you think they took out of these passages? What did this mean to them? Who did they understand the servant to be? Well, there's a lot of discussions about this in in scholarly circles, uh, lots of different theories. But there's this growing consensus, this growing idea um, that I actually tend to agree with about who the original servant was meant to be in in Isaiah's mind. Now, it has a lot to do with the fact that these four passages are actually quite different from one another. This is the world of the text. Remember, when we're comparing different passages and looking at language, again, we miss this when we read these words and just jump straight to Jesus. We, we, we miss this. So um, let's talk about these differences when we're, when, we're, when we're taking off our Jesus-colored glasses and looking at these passages. For example, uh, two of these songs are first person. You know, that, that's the, uh, the Lord called me. That's the servant himself speaking. The other two are third person. Uh, he will bring justice. This is someone speaking about the servant. One of those is actually God speaking about the servant. Look at my servant. Um, and another one is from the perspective of a fellow Israelite. It was our weakness that he carried. Some of these passages, some parts of them are in the past tense. Some are in future tense. Some are in uh, present tense. So you've got all these odd, different variants in the perspective on this servant. And so here's what scholars, biblical scholars, are starting to suggest. They're starting to suggest that these differences are intentional. You see, this is not just a list of facts about some guy. This is poetry. This is biblical poetry, and it is meant to fire up our imaginations, All these unique angles and perspectives on the servant of God are here. And this is is what I think is stunning and really powerful. They're here because these passages don't describe a servant of God. They describe any servant of God. These poems, these prophecies, these, these are meditations on what it means to pursue God's justice, God's mishpat with your life. Think about it. Our world is broken, right? It's a broken world. Anyone who dedicates their lives to the the justice of God, to the healing of pain and, and isolation and hatred, anyone who does that, they are facing down powerful, corrupt systems. Injustice fights back. Sin has teeth, right? The Apostle Paul calls this all the mighty powers of this dark world. These powers are woven into the fabric of humanity. When you are, are trying to heal the world, uh, the brokenness is going to put up a fight. And yet God calls his servants to nonviolence and humility and gentleness and patience. He will not crush the weakest reed. God calls his servants to obedience, even in the face of what seems like failure. I offered my back to those who beat me. If you're a servant of God, of whatever kind, you're going to be victorious, right? We know that that's true. You're going to be victorious. God's justice will prevail in the end. But the road to the world's healing, that's a pretty painful one to walk. It costs us. It costs us to be a servant of God. That's why we we talk here at Grace about the low-grade fever of sadness. You know, know, when you've got a a low-grade fever, it's like you can kind of 
go about your business. You can kind of do your thing, but, but you, you know you just don't feel good. And by the way, you probably shouldn't be out and about right now if you've got a low-grade fever, right? You, you, that's a low-grade fever. Well, we have a low-grade fever of sadness the, the, when we talk about our spirituality. Yes, we have joy. We have, we have hope. We are able to operate in this world looking forward, but until the justice of God is universal, until the new creation comes in all its fullness, until humanity returns to Eden, then we, just like the servant of Isaiah, we are going to bear the pain of living in a still broken world. You can feel it, can't you? I feel it. We bear that pain. Anyone who becomes a servant of God is going to suffer, in part, at least, until God's kingdom comes. Now, if we, if we really want to understand what this looks like, guess who we look at, look at? We look at Jesus. We look at Jesus because, yes, Jesus actually is the perfect fulfillment of these prophecies. He is the ultimate suffering servant of God. This is why the New Testament apostles constantly quote these passages from Isaiah. But here's what I'm getting at. Yes, these prophecies are about Jesus, but they're not just about Jesus. I believe that these prophecies are at least in part about you. These prophecies are about you. If you have chosen to give your life to Jesus, to be a fellow servant of God alongside him, then you are called to live a life of self-giving love, setting your interests aside, uh, of surrender, of, of carrying your cross daily. Jesus told us to carry our cross. And what is the cross? It is a, an instrument of death. We are to die to ourselves. You are called not just to be a servant of God, but to be a suffering servant of God as well. This is why the Apostle Paul said, you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. If we're gonna model our lives after our Savior by giving of ourselves by willingly laying down our lives, then yes, God's healing purposes can come to fruition in our broken world. Why? Because God's kingdom is upside down. Weakness in God's kingdom is strength in Christ. The last are first and the first are last. Our king who ascended to the throne, he ascended to the throne through descending to death. Jesus let the brokenness of the world do its worst to him on the cross. He was literally and spiritually beaten by the brokenness of our world. Sin and death destroyed him. But in the process, Jesus, the ultimate suffering servant of God, who, who gave his life in the process, he ended up destroying sin and death. The same things that had tried to destroy him. God's mishpat, his justice emerged victorious. And now we, just like the exiles in Babylon, we uh, you know, are invited to join God's mission of redemption. We are invited to, to participate in spreading God's justice into the world, which, by the way, will win the day in the end. God's justice will prevail, not through strength, not through violence, not through power, but through humility and service and gentleness and peace and love. This is how the servants of God heal this broken world. This is the truth that Isaiah was speaking to. Now I know that that's a lot to chew on, right? 
That's a lot to think about. And if you've been very familiar with these passages, if you've listened to them your whole life, I bet you've probably never actually thought about them as having anything to do with you. So yes, it's a lot to chew on. And, and normally at this point in the message, I might try to give you some practical tips on how you could live out these ideas. Uh, maybe ways that you could apply this to your life. But today I want to do something a little different. I want to let the application come from God's Holy Spirit. I want to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what he wants you to hear from this. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this first servant song in its entirety. Don't worry, it's only like nine verses long. And as I read, um, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what God has to say as if this passage is about you. I know, I know that's uncomfortable because yes, it's about Jesus. It is about Jesus, right? Okay, but listen as if it's about you. Because as we just talked about, these prophecies describe what it's like to be a servant of God, like you and like me, especially when our world has hit rock bottom. Exile, pandemics, chaos. When we are feeling that low-grade fever of sadness, when we become a suffering servant as well, okay? So, servants of God, I want you to listen. Listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that if you're paying attention, I believe the Spirit will, will grab you with one word or phrase or idea from this passage as I read. And when that happens, pay attention to it and hold on to that phrase. Okay, we are gonna take a moment a little bit later and I'm gonna ask God to reveal to you why he called that out. All right, so pay attention as I read. But before I do, um, I'm gonna pray. Just pray for us uh, really briefly. Father God, we are listening. Speak to us as we read your word, Father. Your word is living and active and your spirit continues to speak if we would have ears to hear. So Father, speak for we are listening. Okay, let's read about you. Look at my servant, whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I've put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. God, the Lord, created the heavens and he stretched them out. He created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. And it is he who says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. And I will give you to my people Israel as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. I'm the Lord. That is my name. And I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. Everything I prophesied has come true. And now I will prophesy again. I will tell you the future before it happens. Father, as we listen to the voice of your spirit, I ask right now that for anyone, anyone who just heard that and who heard your voice, I pray 
that you will reveal to them why. Why did that word stick out to them? Why did that phrase pop out? What was it that you were trying to communicate to them, Father? I pray that you would speak clearly right now and we are listening. So Father, send your Holy Spirit to anyone who is listening to my voice and tell them what you want them to hear right now. And Father, I pray that as these words sink deeply into our minds and into our hearts this week, that you would shape our path and show us the road to walk. It may not be a comfortable one. There may be suffering involved, but Father, we know that you will be victorious and your justice will prevail in this planet, in this humanity, in this earth. And so God, give us the courage to continue to walk, even if it costs us. I pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Grace family, it is a chaotic time. It's chaotic, but God is still working. And I I sure didn't see this coming, but guess what? God is still working through you and through me. We are the servants of God. We feel the pain of a broken world, yes. But don't falter. Don't lose heart because we know that in the end, God's justice will prevail.